Hello, and welcome to Church at the Bridge. Thank you for checking out our weekly sermon podcast. Today we are on week two of our current mini-series, Hope is Here. The title of today's message is Hope Makes All Things Possible. We hope you enjoy the word. Amen. Good morning. How are you doing this morning? Man, it is so good to see you all this morning. It, have you noticed how nice the weather is? It's just amazing. It is beautiful. Every day is a good day. I know some of you are wishing you were somewhere else. Um, that's fine. But we are glad that you are here this morning, that you braved the weather, right? And that you uh, came to church at the bridge. We're so excited to share the Word of God with you. Today we're going to continue upon a series that we started last week called Hope is Here. Somebody say with me, hope is here. Now, I want you to consider that it's very easy to just say those words. But is hope here in your heart? Does hope dwell in your understanding? How is hope impacting your thinking, your perception of life? Last week, when we started this series, we began by looking to the birth of Jesus and the hope that it brought to people. And in week one, which was last week, we learned that hope changed everything. You know, if you consider the, the, the definition that we hold of hope, the first thing that comes to mind, just, you know, if you're shooting from the hip, is I'm hoping for something to come. And while that's true, that hope does inspire us and point us towards something more ahead, in Christ, what we see is that hope doesn't just show us what's there for tomorrow. It impacts us in the present today. And so hope, the hope that we find in God, in relationship with God, has the power to impact your life right now. Today, we're going to be revisiting the birth of Jesus, and we're going to learn how hope makes everything or all things possible. Now, I want you to consider that statement there because it really does challenge our thinking. Hope makes all things possible. You ever face an impossible situation? This statement right here challenges that thinking because sometimes what we perceive as impossibility is nothing but an opportunity for God to show himself strong. And hope in Christ will make that, uh, make that change in our lives. And so I want you to hear this story that I came across a while back just to kind of prime the pump for us on hope and how it makes all things possible and where God begins to transform us in that regard says that there, was one, there were once two identical twins. I mean, these twins were, they were exactly alike. Uh, mannerisms, how they looked, how they walked, but there was just one thing that was different about them both. It was a huge disparity. One of them was a hope-filled optimist who only ever saw the bright side of life. The other was a dark pessimist who only ever saw the downside in every situation. The parents became so worried about the extremes of optimism and pessimism in their boys that they eventually decided, let's take them to a doctor. And so they take them to this doctor, and after evaluating them and observing them and asking lots of questions, he came up with a plan that he suggested to the parents. His plan was, on their next birthday... Give the pessimist a shiny new bike, but give the optimist a pile of manure. It seemed a fairly extreme thing to do. But at this point, the parents decided, we have to try anything. 
And so they decided that they would do this in spite of the fact that they always treated their boys equally. In this instance, the doctor's advice proved to challenge what they thought would come out of it. They actually believed they would get something. And so when the twins' birthday came around, they gave the pessimist the most expensive top-of-the-range racing bike a child could ever own. And when he saw the bike, his first words were, I'll probably crash and break my leg. But to the optimist, they gave a carefully, carefully wrapped box of manure. And he opened it. He looked puzzled for a moment. And then he ran outside screaming, you can't fool me. Where there's this much manure, there's just got to be a pony around here somewhere. That was a lot funnier in my head. But anyway, what's my point with that? Listen, hope has to find a place to operate in. Listen to what I'm saying. Hope in Christ has the power to take the most impossible situation in your thinking and turn it into a possibility. Hebrews 6, 19, the first half of verse 19 puts it this way. It says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. It is firm and secure. What's interesting about this verse is that it reveals where hope operates, where hope finds its home, where hope most, uh, most appropriately works, where it's most effective. It's in the soul, and the soul is referring to the mind. The mind. See, if we can't think beyond our current circumstances, if we can't begin to envision beyond the possibilities or the impossibilities that we're perceiving right now, we can never see the reality that God has for us. The Bible puts it this way, that God does exceedingly, abundantly, above, beyond what you or I can think or imagine according to the work in us. But I want you to see how God's work is operating in us. It's according to what we think, and it's according to what we imagine. And so if this thinking cannot shift, if this perception that we hold of life and our circumstances cannot take a turn, the truth is that we will limit the hand of God. You will limit the power of hope in your life. Does that make sense? That all right? And so... Hope in Christ makes all things possible by impacting the one part of our being that is essential to seeing new possibilities. It's our mind. And the Bible records the response of two people at the birth of Jesus, the coming of Jesus Christ. One being Mary, the other one being Joseph. We're going to briefly look at that. So if you would turn in your Bibles with me, I want to start off by looking at Luke 1, 26. And we're going to read all the way to verse 38. Starting at verse uh, 26, it says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth to a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. I want you to take note of Mary's response to this great announcement. It says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. 
But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, for his kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. She who who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. And so I want you to consider something here that Mary receives the announcement of a miraculous act of God. God says to her through this angel, he says, you are favored. God has come to you. And the Bible says that Mary was troubled at hearing that. The reason why Mary was troubled was because in these days, they understood relationship with God according to the law. The law simply dictated this. You do right, you get One of you got that. You do right, you get right, right? You you present your offerings, you receive this from God. So the law simply dictated relationship to God in this manner. You do to get. You behave to be declared righteous. You present an offering to be declared free of sin, to be forgiven, absolved of your sin. The problem with that is that the relationship with God was always dictated based upon what you did for God. You ever been in one of those relationships where it's all contingent on what you do, 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 do? Eventually that gets frustrating. Well, here's the good news. The Bible says that the law was given to us to show us the truth, to reveal to us that we needed a Savior. So basically what the law did for them, or was supposed to do for them, was to reveal to them a need for God. And so this angel shows up, and he speaks to Mary. And when Mary hears, you are highly favored of God, she goes, wait, what? It didn't fit in her brain. It didn't fit in her understanding of her relationship with God. I want you to also notice that the angel tells her, you are going to conceive a child By way of the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you and you are going to give birth to the Savior of the world. And watch what Mary says. Mary says, how can this be? Mary says, it's impossible. Let me share a thought with you here. What seems impossible, what seems possible with God does not fit in our rational mind. If you are facing an impossible situation, I want you to consider something. That the possibility that you're seeking does not fit in your understanding. You need to seek the wisdom of God. You need to see what God is doing. And so Mary is perplexed. She's troubled. She's anxious. She's disbelieving even. And the angel brings her this message. Let's see what uh, Joseph's response was to this, to this message, this announcement. 
in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 26, it says, This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So I want you to see where his thinking's at. His thinking is not aligned with God. His thinking is aligned with his own plan. He's seeking a way out of this. He's seeking a solution. There's more to come on that next week, in next week's sermon. And so it goes on to say in verse 20, But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. I want you to also take note, Joseph's response to this message. Joseph had a plan in mind. Mary is pregnant. It is obvious that she's pregnant. And he's concerned not just with the fact that she's pregnant, but with the peripheral things happening in the sidelines. He's worried about how she's going to be perceived. He's worrying about the fact that according to the laws of that time, a woman who was pregnant out of wedlock was to be stoned or at the very least, to be cast out and shunned by society. And so what we're seeing here is that Joseph did not, verse 19 says, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. Here's how severe this situation was. The original language here reveals that public disgrace is alluding to a public shaming and ridicule due to something that was grossly criminal, shocking, and brutal. And so, in other words, Joseph is worried about the fact that she is going to be tried as a criminal even. So Joseph is worried here. He's perplexed. He's, he's trying to conjure up his own, his own plan. The, the, to have this child in his mind was the equivalent to ensuring that life would end as they knew it. One, Mary would most certainly be stoned. But two, at the very least, if that didn't happen, they would become outcasts in society and live in perpetual ridicule. And in the midst of what seemed impossible here, God gave them something to think about. He says, I know you perceive an impossibility here, but let me reveal to you what I am making possible. Listen to me. Listen to what we're seeing here in the scriptures. Both of these people, Mary and Joseph, had their own idea, their own belief, their own perspective 
in the midst of this situation. And God says, you're not thinking on my level. I want to show you something more. I want to show you something different. You know, this mind of ours is a powerful tool. It's creative. It's imaginative. It's imaginative. It's the wellspring of change and possibility. And when this mind is aligned with the mind of the creator, you'll begin to experience what the word says. The word says, my ways are not your ways, nor are my thoughts your thoughts. But remember that God wants to do exceedingly, abundantly, above, beyond what you could ask or think. But it's according to the work that he's revealing in you. And there was something that God was doing in Mary and in Joseph that required them to get beyond their limited thinking. Hope draws us to the mind of God. Hope raises us beyond our possibilities and shows us the opportunities that God is creating ahead of us. See, in the midst of this impossible situation, God gave them hope. And they were finally able to see a new possibility. And as we start here this morning, I want you to consider that hope in Christ really does make all things possible. Hope in Christ makes all things possible. You don't understand my situation. You don't understand what I'm going through. You don't understand how I see these things. You don't understand what I've been taught. You don't understand how many times I've failed, but I've tried that, but I've done that, but I've looked to God. But listen, when you're really looking to God with hope, it doesn't just give you a hope for tomorrow because tomorrow begins today with God. There's something that God wants to show you and I. And so for the next couple of moments that I have with you, I want to turn to a portion of Scripture that is really where we're going to land, and we're going to dig into this a little bit. And it's Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. And if you study Isaiah 40, what you'll see is that it's, it's God literally speaking through this guy, Isaiah, um, 800 years before Jesus is born. And what he's prophesying, what he's foretelling is the hope that would come through the coming of the Messiah. And so Isaiah 40 summarizes the power of this hope by saying to us, but to those who hope in the Lord, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Listen, you can rebuild, you can restore, you can rejuvenate, you can reinvigorate your strength. But it's found in the hope that you cling to in the Lord. It says they will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. The scripture here is literally revealing to us the power of the hope that we have in Christ. And it's one that renews, it's one that causes us to soar, it's one that empowers us to run and not grow weary and not give up and not faint. And so the very first point that I want to give you here this morning is this, that we see three things about hope in Christ that create new possibilities. The first one is this, it's that hope in Christ renews your strength. It renews your strength. Now, what's interesting is that the converse is true of that as well. Hope in Christ, um, hope apart from Christ 
will deplete you. And so in Isaiah 30, it gives us a good example about our hope in Christ and how it's renewed. In Isaiah 30, the Lord literally is addressing the people of Israel. And what he's addressing is their obstinance. He's addressing their, their, their uh, reliance on people. He's addressing their hope in the nations. He's addressing their faulty thinking and their, and their reliance in their own plans and their deceitful beliefs. And amid all this, as God is addressing all these things, and he's literally rebuking them for it. He's telling them, listen, you're dead wrong about this. He gives them hope and reveals the key to renewing their strength. Listen to Isaiah 30, 15. He says, this is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, in repentance and rest is your salvation. Listen closely. In quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. (coughs) Excuse me. God literally is telling these people, you're going the wrong way. You're going the wrong way. Now, what's the wrong way? Where were they heading? What was it that they were, that, that was depleting them of strength? Well, we have to look at verses 1 and 2 in Isaiah 30 to understand that. It says, Woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord, to those who carry out plans that are not mine, forming an alliance, but not by my spirit, heaping sin upon sin. Watch this. Who go down to Egypt without consulting me, who look for help to Pharaoh's protection, to Egypt's shade for refuge. Now, in order to understand this, you have to understand where the people of Israel came from. 700 years before the writing of these verses through the prophet Isaiah, the people of Israel had been delivered from a place called Egypt. They were enslaved there for over 400 years. Generations grew up in enslavement. There was a mentality of bondage. There was a mentality that accepted we're just slaves. We're just stuck. We're just in this muck. Everything's bad. This is what life is. What's interesting is this, that God equates where they were in their thinking to them wanting to be in a place that these people had never been. This is 700 years after they left Egypt. And here's what he says. You're still looking back to your days of enslavement. You're still looking backwards. You're still stuck in Egypt. You're still longing for what was in Egypt. And what was in Egypt... If you look at the book of Exodus, what you'll see is this, that when the people of Israel were leaving, God was performing miracles before them, opening the Red Sea. They're in the desert and they're going, we're thirsty. Why would you bring us out here to die? We were better off in Egypt. You know what they're saying? You know what they were saying? We were better off with chains and whips. We were better off stuck. See where their thinking was? And so in Isaiah 30, God says to them, listen, you are stuck in your thinking, you're believing, you're looking backwards. And he says to them in Isaiah 30, 15, in quietness and trust is your strength. He says, in repentance and rest is your salvation. Listen to what God is saying. 
you'll be strengthened. You'll be refreshed. You'll be rejuvenated. You'll find the joy of salvation. You'll experience all that I have for you. But here's how it happens. You have to turn around from where you were. And watch what he says. And in quietness and trust is your strength. You know what God is saying to them? He's saying, turn down the noise on everything that you long for and you believe about Egypt. Because it's of no benefit to you. Some of you may know this, some of you may not know this. Prior to um, us doing ministry professionally, Pastor Ned and I were in the social services field for many years throughout the city. Um, and, you know, part of, part of the, the, the career that I had was managing programs and creating programs that worked with people who had been incarcerated. And so we did a lot of work to help people reintegrate into society. We worked with the families. We worked with their children. We worked with employers. We created opportunities. And there came a point where I managed six offices, um, one here in Beacon and one in each borough in, in the city. And so it was, a, it was a big task, and we were doing great things. And so there came a point in the work that I was doing where I was no longer really connected to the people. I was really more managing staff and programs and all that other stuff. But every now and then I would take opportunity to try and connect to what was happening in our programs. And in one of these instances, I found myself in a correctional facility uh, that was a work release facility um, for men in, in the city, in Queens. And I, I remember going to this place and, and I was sitting down in the classroom and I was listening to the facilitator facilitating some workshops and, and doing some activities with the guys. And I took special attention for some reason to a guy that I'm just going to call Johnny. I won't give you his name, but I'll just call him Johnny. And this guy was young. He was vibrant. Man, he was full of ideas. I looked at his service plan and everything he had going on. He had concrete goals. There were things in place to help him succeed. We had helped him reconnect with his mother and with his sister. He had a stable place to go to. He, he was reconnecting with his child and, and his son's mother. And so they, he had all these good things going on. And so I kind of took interest in him, and every time I would go, I would kind of check in on him. And the more I did that, the more I began to kind of get to know him. And while Johnny had all these things going for him, there was something that Johnny had behind him that he kept looking to. You see, Johnny grew up in a home where, while he had a loving father, a working father, and, and a great mother, addiction was an issue for his father. And so at a young age, in his teen years, his father introduced him to use of heroin. And that, that, that kind of went on throughout his late teen years, and he got arrested. And by the time I met him, he had been in prison probably about a good almost three years. And so but none of that really concerned me because everything seemed to be in place. But, you know, you never know what's going on in the heart. And I remember there was about two days before his release date because what we would do is we would, we would do a handoff. When they would be released, we would hand them off. We would connect them with family or we would connect them to their programs, whatever. Wherever they were going, the, that first landing place to help them kind of start that foundation, we would do that. And so the plan that day was to have Johnny connect with his family. Um, so prior to that, two days before that, I get a call from one of my staff, and they say, listen, are you in the area? Are you going to be stopping by? Because I think it's real important that you stop by and see this guy. 
And I said, I really can't. They said, no, it's kind of important. So I said, you know what, let me just go over there. I'm going to be stopping on the way anyway to another office. So I drove over there. I stopped at the facility. I went in. And when I sit down with this guy, the very first thing that I notice is that he's sweating. Like sweating profusely. And, and you know, he's, he's, he's jittery. He's angsty. You know, his, his eyes are kind of like all over the place. His hands are slightly shaking. And I said, Johnny, what is going on with you? He says, man, I've been trying to avoid going to sleep. I said, why? He says, because for the last two days, every time I go to sleep, I dream that I'm high. And he says, and it's so vivid, it's so real that I'm, I'm high in my sleep. See, what wasn't revealed that started to come out at that point was that Johnny was looking backwards. He was looking backwards. He was taking steps to go forward, but he was looking backwards. Ladies and gentlemen, that's a recipe for disaster when it comes to hope. You can't hope in Christ while still putting hope in your past. You can't hope. Listen, hope works both ways. Hope works when you place it in God, but hope also works when you place it in dead things. It works both ways. Hope works. It's where you place it. It's where you place it. And the proof of where you're putting your hope in is this. What are the results that you're getting in what you're hoping in? Listen, if your hope is in money, 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 hope is in people, 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 hope is in whatever it is, is it producing long-lasting results? Is it moving you forward and is it impacting today powerfully? If it isn't, then I suggest to you that your hope is misplaced. See, this guy Johnny was living with such hopelessness, but you couldn't see it. Couldn't see it. But ultimately, it led to a place where he was living in addiction while not even using. I wish I could tell you that it ended up good for him. Unfortunately, it didn't. It didn't. But my point with that is this. Listen to God's solution in Isaiah 30, verse 15. He says, in repentance and rest is your salvation. Listen to what God is saying. Repentance is not you crying at an altar. Repentance is not you having this emotional outpouring of shame and guilt. Repentance simply means this. Turn around. And here's what God says. Here's your way out. Turn around from Egypt. Turn around from that thing that you're holding on to. Turn around from what you left behind you. Turn around from it. Because when you turn around for it, watch this. Rest is your salvation. You'll find rest from your past. You'll find rest from your worries. And here's what he says. And in quietness. Turn down the noise. Turn down the volume on that anxiety. Turn down, turn down the volume on that fear. Turn down the volume on the past. He says, in quietness and in trust is your strength. And so hope strengthens you. It strengthens you. 
But this is how we do it. This is how hope works. God's solution to facing impossibilities begins with turning around. And it starts with proceeding instead in quietness and in trust. Confident expectation. That's how hope works. Like the people of Israel, as long as you're focused on the impossible, life in Egypt, backwards, you can't perceive what God says is possible. So instead, turn around and rest in your salvation. Put your hope in God and you'll be strengthened. The second point I want to give you here is that hope in Christ will lift you when the impossible weighs you down. You ever been in that situation where you're just so weighed down? It's so heavy. It's so burdensome. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 40 that they who hope in the Lord, that they will soar on wings like eagles. Get this. God never created you to live life way down. He created you to soar. He created you to spread your wings and fly. He created you for the wind to be underneath your wings, not to weigh you down and destroy your life. I'm reminded of the story of three young Hebrew boys in the book of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 3. You check that out on your own time. I don't have time to really get into the whole story, but I'll give you kind of a quick synopsis. Uh, the king of the empire of Babylon, a guy named Nebuchadnezzar, one day has this idea, a brilliant idea in his perspective. He says, ah, build me a golden image. Make it 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. And he says, and then... Play all the harps and the lyres and all the string instruments. And when they play that, here's my decree to all the nations that I rule. He says, when you hear the sound of the harp, the lyre, and all these other instruments, you're to bow down and worship this image. Right? And so the people of Israel were under the dominion of this Babylonian empire. And... There were three Hebrew boys there, one called Shadrach, another one called Meshach, and another one called Abednego, right? And these three guys said, we can't do that. We can't compromise what we know to be true. We, the, Lord God, the Lord our God is one, and him only will we worship. And so they say, we're not doing it. So the Bible says that these prefects and, and, and these satraps and these governors, they note what these three young men aren't doing when, when the time for worshiping the image would come. And so they go to Nebuchadnezzar and they say, Nebuchadnezzar, you have three Hebrew boys that you've appointed to a very high place in this government. And they're not bowing down to the image like you decreed. And according to your law that you decreed, you said that anyone that does not bow down to the image will be burned in a, in a furnace. And he says... They say, so here are these three guys. So Nebuchadnezzar gets wind of it, and he calls them over. He says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is it true you will not bow down to my image? And he says, and if it is, I'm going to give you a chance. You can do it now. And they say, we won't do it. We won't do it. And if, and if, and if we're going to be placed into the furnace, then so be it. But we know that our God will deliver us is what they say. Right? Now watch what happens? They find themselves engulfed in the midst of an impossible situation. Impossible, why? Because 
what they believe will not allow them. They will not compromise it. So in other words, they're going into the furnace. Let's see what happens when, when this happens. Daniel chapter 3, verses 22 through 27 says, The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the burning furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that were tied up and we threw into the fire? And they replied, Certainly, your majesty. And he said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. Come here. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies nor was the hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Listen closely to this point. Just because it's impossible doesn't mean that there isn't a better possibility for you. Rational thinking says this. These guys are done for. As a matter of fact, in their mind, they said, look, we believe that our God is able to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we won't compromise. We won't compromise. But they had a hope that there was a possibility that existed that nobody was considering. Watch what that possibility was. Their hope was in God. And when they were in the midst of the fire, guess who showed up? Hope. Listen. These young men weren't willing to compromise their hope in God. But the truth is that they still found themselves in the fire. Sometimes God will not pull you out of the impossibility. Listen closely. But instead, he'll create a new one. And a better one for you. There was a possibility that no one saw. And their hope in God revealed that possibility. I know that for some of us, sometimes we go through what we feel are impossible situations. You know, I'm reminded that in times such as these where we get around what people call the holidays times where families gather, that there are, there are moments where f- for some, what they have is a sense of hopelessness. What they feel is down. Loss of family, difficult circumstances, financial trouble, whatever it is. Can I submit to you this morning that there is one that's walking with you. Like the song says, there is another in the fire. And he's walking with you every step of the way. And there's an opportunity for you to discover a new possibility with God. But you can't compromise your hope in God. You can't miss 
the opportunity that's available to you. You see, hope in Christ will lift you when the impossible weighs you down. But it's because you keep your hope in something higher, something stronger. It's God. And lastly, as we close out here today, I leave you with this parting thought. That hope in Christ gives you what's necessary to keep going. Isaiah 40, 31 says this, that they who hope in the Lord, they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. I want you to consider that the scripture says that in Christ, you can continue to go on and on and on. And while you may face challenges, you will not grow weary. You will not come to the point of fainting. But the key is to continue to hope in Christ. Jeremiah 17, verses 5 through 8, gives us a clear example of this. It says, this is what the Lord says. It says, cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. I want to pause right there for a moment because what you're going to see is that there is a distinction that God is making. He's talking about hope. He's talking about trust, right? And the first example that he gives us is the trust in man, and he equates it to a bush, but that's not just any bush, in the original language, it reveals that it's what, 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 what's known as a heath bush. These are bushes that grow in, some, in different parts of the world, but in one place where they grow that they're not, they're not supposed to grow is in South Africa and certain parts of the Middle East. And these heath bushes grow up in these dry places, and they produce these berries that if they're left long enough, they burst open and they cast out their seed. They're also edible. The thing about it is that the Lord says that when a man trusts in another man, when he puts his hope and trust in a man, he's like a heath bush that's supposed to produce fruit in dry places, but doesn't. But doesn't. Now, listen to the person who places their trust and hope in the Lord. Jeremiah 17 verse 7 says, But blessed is the one who trusts. In the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when he comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Notice the difference between putting your trust and hope in men and putting your trust and hope in God. One leads to waste, to lack, to dryness, to decay. The other leads you to life like a tree. Like a tree that while it might be just a seed, recognizes that because there's water around, there's still a hope. I'll tell you what I mean by that. About a month and a half or so ago, my wife and I 
had the opportunity to go away for a while to a place called Mohawk Mountain in, uh, in New Paltz. It was actually a gift for many of you, which we greatly appreciated. And I remember when I went there, I said, Lord, I know we're taking a couple of days to just relax, to rest. But Lord, I need you to speak to me on some things in my heart. I need you to show me some things that I need to pay attention to. And while we were there, one of the things that we did was we took a guided uh, hike tour. And it was actually very informative. The, t- the, the, the guide that we had was, this guy was like a, what would I, a MacGyver. Some of you might not know who MacGyver is. Google that. That dude was a bad dude. He could survive in anything. But anyway, yeah, he'll take duct tape and do anything with it, right? You, you took me way back on that one. But anyway, so this guy was like, you know, like a woods, kind of like a man's man when it comes, you know, he could tell you which berries to eat, which rocks to use to floss your teeth and whatever else was that he was into, right? He was that kind of dude. But he knew the, the area and he knew the history And as we're walking around and he's showing us all these things and talking to us, pointing things out that you would would miss, we look over a kind of like this cliff and there's this wooden barrier there and he kind of looks over. He was talking to us about something. He's sitting on this thing and he looks over his shoulder and he goes, wow. He goes, look at that. And so for me, it just piqued my curiosity. So I kind of look over and and he says, I wonder how that tree got there. And what he was showing us was a tree growing outside from the cliff. Now, I know that that looks like grass and all that to you, but really what it is, it's a a jagged, uh, the jagged side of this huge cliff. And we were probably a couple of, at least 800, 1,000 feet above. And he said, and then he said something that really struck me. He says, Wow, those roots have to be running real deep. And those roots have to have broken through this cliff in order for that tree to grow. That stuck with me. And it ministered to me. And it actually reminded me of these verses that we're reading right now in Jeremiah 17. I'll tell you why. If you could just put up Jeremiah 17, verse 8. It says, for the person who's blessed because they put their trust in the Lord, verse 8 says, they will be like trees planted by water. Watch this. They're planted by water. But because the water is there, the tree knows to send out its roots to reach the stream. I'll tell you why I share that with you. Because you are a lot like this tree. But watch how it starts. If we could put up that second picture that we have there. It starts off as a small little plant. And you begin to extend your branches and it might seem like there's nothing much happening in the midst of your impossible situation when you put your hope in God. But just for those branches to begin to grow, you have no idea how deep the roots have to go. I want you to notice what's behind in the background. Water. And I want you to notice just from the angle, the perspective that we have, how high up we were. 
Listen closely. When your hope is in Christ, when your hope is in Christ, you might be on a high and a very hard place. And you might not see any way to go any further. You might not know how you're going to make it. But when your hope is in Christ, listen, that hope will build something in you and through you that will reach to the very heart of God and will give you strength and will create a possibility where there was none. It'll cause you to grow and prosper in the hardest places. And so as we close out today, I remind you that your hope, this hope in Christ, gives you what's necessary to keep going on, to grow, to produce, to be fruitful, to see the goodness of God wherever you may find yourself. As we close out here today and we take a moment to stand and pray, I want I want to I want to ask you to take a moment in quietness. Hey, maybe you got to close your eyes to do that. Whatever you got to do. But I want you to take a moment in quietness. And just turn down the noise for a moment. Turn down the noise on whatever it is that you've been misplacing your hope in, if that's where you've been. If you're not there, that's okay. That's great. But I want you to consider, have you been placing your hope somewhere else? In the midst of busyness, while you love God, is your hope being placed still in something else? Are you hoping in a paycheck? Are you hoping... In the approval of people, are you hoping in what this world offers you? Are you hoping in a past and trying to resurrect something that doesn't belong in your life? I remind you the words of God. But they who hope in the Lord, they shall renew their strength. Their strength right here, right now for you. They shall soar like wings of eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. Hope. Hope only works when it's in Christ. Only when it's in God. Would you place your hope in God today? Would you put your trust in a God that's good, in a God that loves you, in a God that's faithful, in a God that promises to bring you through, to bring your breakthrough, to make a way where you see no way. I want to also encourage you and caution you at the same time to not limit God by expecting the possible from God solely in the midst of your impossibility. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Sometimes we find ourselves in impossible situations. And what we do is we say, God, I'm putting my hope and trust in you for you to make this impossibility a possibility.
Don't miss the fact that maybe God has another possibility for you. Something better. Something new. Something refreshing. Don't do like the people of Israel. Don't turn away your hope and your trust. Keep it in God. Father, today we come to you with open hearts. I believe that each and every one of us here has had an encounter with God. That we've had a moment to look into the mirror of God's word and what we see is the goodness of God. And for some of us, maybe what we see is that what we've been hoping is is really hopeless. And Lord, today, we thank you for that opportunity to see truth. And to once again turn to you and know the joy of our salvation. To still our minds and our hearts and to put our trust and our hope in you once again. Right now, there's strength at work in your life. Right now, for for that person who's been giving up or wanting to give up or wanting to just let it all go and, and, and try and make another way for yourself, right now, right here, God is saying, look, I created you to soar. Don't give up. Because I'm the one who gives you the ability to run and not grow weary. I'm the one that gives you the ability to continue to move forward and not faint. Right here, right now, take hold of that strength. Hope in God. And I believe that for some of us, we've been on that journey and we've been pressing and moving forward with Christ. Our hope is in God. But you're still not seeing the fullness of what you're trusting God for. I say to you, keep going. Keep going. Because hope in God Hope in Christ will not fail you. It will lift you. It's very possible that there's someone here today and you've never placed your hope in Christ. Maybe you started at some point in your life looking to God and you just kind of gave up on it. You looked to the circumstances instead of to God and you judged God based on your shortcomings, based on your failure. Today, today, Maybe you see something different. If that's you, we want to invite you to get back to that place where hope works, where you put your hope in God. If you believe that God loves you and that God has a better plan for you today, just based on the truth that we've heard, I want you to see that what you're believing is that Jesus Christ loves you. That the Son of God gave Himself for you to pay a price for sin and die for that penalty so that you and I wouldn't have to. To give you a hope for a future. A good one. Because His plan is not to harm you, but to help you. To instill hope in you. Hope is here right now. And if you believe that with us, I I want you to join us in this simple prayer of faith. Say this with us. Say, Jesus, I believe. You are the Son of God. I believe you died and you rose again. I believe that you paid the price for me to give me hope. And so today, I declare you're my Lord. I declare you're my Savior. I declare you're my God. And I declare that my hope is in you. And from this day forward, I'm seeking you. I'm following you. I'm trusting you. 
Come on now. Right now, there is change happening in the hearts and in the lives of people. There is hope being restored. There are lives being renewed. There are mindsets being transformed. Father, we thank you for that. We celebrate the hope that's ours in Christ. And we thank you for all this. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. We'll see you on Tuesday for Christmas Eve. Thank you again for checking out our weekly sermon podcast. If this message spoke to you, don't forget to let us know by tagging us on your social media stories at CTBNY or sharing with a friend. We can't wait to see you again next week. Thank you for tuning in.